0: Let's get something straight from the get-go. I think you're a freaking menace, and those are your good points. No. no. Five minutes. Ah, no way. F R E A K. You're ordering Hello and welcome back to Two True Freaks. In this 5-Minute Freak installment, I'm going to be covering some issues of Superman Family, issues 186 through 188. The reason I'm doing this as a five minute freak instead of our normal uh, Comics Monthly Monday episode is because in our next installment of the Comics Monthly Monday episode, it is going to be an extra beefy episode with a lot of comics talk. Uh, We're going to be talking about the new uh, X Men Origins Wolverine movie, as well as just a ton of other comics, and frankly, there just wasn't room for these uh, issues of Superman Family. And rather than shortchange them and you by bumping them to uh, a later episode or something like that, I thought, what the hell, I'll just record them as uh, their own special little five-minute freak episode and do it that way. So I hope you enjoy it. We're going to get right into this with Superman Family number 186. has a uh, beautiful uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez cover on it with Dick Giordano inks. And uh, this has Superman holding Lois Lane over his head, about to bash her to the ground for whatever crazy reason. It is a really beautiful cover, though. This is the November-December 1977 issue, which makes this comic as old as my sister, which is pretty scary, actually. This one is, you know, your standard Superman family. It's got, uh, you know, a a number of different short stories, and it's still the anthology format, the uh, big... 80-page uh, dollar comics format. In this particular issue, there's a Jimmy Olsen story by Tom DeFalco, of all people, who's you know, I really like Tom DeFalco's writing, but uh, I didn't read this one. Still just not a Jimmy Olsen fan, and it just didn't look like anything I would really get into. I skimmed over it, but it eh, just doesn't grab me. Jimmy Olsen solo, I-, I-, I can barely stand him when he's with Superman. I don't want to read about him without him. Anyway, Next up was a Superman story by Jerry Conway with art by, uh, by Kurt Swan and uh, Murphy Anderson. Awesome art team, classic art team on Superman. This one has Superman, and he's on the JLA satellite, and he gets embroiled in a fight with a huge, um, ugly dude named uh, Krog. Now, this guy is one of the flat-out goofiest yet creepiest, burn-victim-lookingest bad guys I've ever seen. I mean, you know, he looks a lot like that big, goofy guy that they keep down in the basement in the Goonies movie, if you know what I'm talking about. He uh, he kind of looks like a combination of that guy, whatever that guy's name was, and, uh, and like, Gladiator from a Gladiator movies. I, I don't know. It, it, it's a strange visual, I know, but this guy is just really bizarre, creepy... Somebody that you know you, you would imagine as a kid you know lived in like the, the haunted looking house down at the end of your street or something. Anyway, uh, this guy comes uh, you know out from between dimensions and he puts a serious beat down on our hero. And just when all looks lost, the Superman of Earth 2 shows up and uh, he is prepared to take out this uh, burn victim looking guy, this Krog. And that story is to be continued. There's a Lois Lane story that I didn't read. You know, Although it might be good, I don't know. I, I don't tend to read those either. Uh, it does, however, feature an awesome panel of Superman just callously backhanding Lois Lane like the bitch deserved it. Crypto the Superdog by Bob Toomey with art by Juan Artis and Vince. Instead of being uh, named Coletta in this one, he's Colialetta. So I don't know if that's just a typo or his real name or what the deal is with that, but there's an, an I in his name that's not usually there. This story was ridiculous and goofy, but it was good, clean fun with a story involving a revenge plot against Crypto's new master slash friend, Ed Lacey the private eye and uh, they're operating on a movie set now. Um has apparently gone from being just the uh, boyfriend of this movie star dog to being an actual movie star in his own right. Like I say, pretty pretty goofy, pretty ridiculous, but you know the art wasn't bad and uh, it's good clean fun. Anyway, the reason we're here is Nightwing and Flamebird this one's written by Paul Cooperberg with art by Ken Landgraf and inks by Romeo Tangau. Okay, this is a wild one, okay? For one thing, how does Candor have clouds and weather? You know, we open up to a scene of, of basically Nightwing and Flamebird soaring high over, you know, the city and they're up amongst the clouds and I just wonder... How are there clouds in a bottled city? Uh, I'm not sure I understand the whole weather, how weather happens in the city. And this will come up again, by the way, the, the whole issue of weather in the bottled city. Anyway, uh, Van Z, who is secretly Nightwing, and Akvar, who is secretly Flamebird, they uh, fly out of the sky and they join their wives and children, which I guess I just either didn't realize or didn't remember that they actually had kids, too. They fly down, they join them in a park for a picnic when suddenly they are abducted by the Overseer who turns out to be a big blue telepathic Professor Xavier wannabe floaty head looking guy. It turns out that this guy, he's the sole rightful inhabitant of his dimension and he's brought Nightwing and Flamebird to it. He's evolved into a being of quote-unquote pure mind and he has need of their physical prowess to combat a massive disruption in the dimensional structure that could cause the collapse of the entire range of dimensions. A freak dimensional warp has introduced Blaz, the unconquerable, and his very gray skull-looking castle into the Overseer's realm, and the whole of reality is kind of going all piss-wacky, and it's all going to come to a crashing halt unless they can send him on his way. To the story's credit, at least Nightwing does ask the Overseer guy, you know, why doesn't he just teleport this guy away? I mean, he teleported Nightwing and Flamebird into the dimension, why doesn't he just teleport this other dude out? Well, it turns out that Blaz has acquired magical powers which basically negate the Overseer's abilities. Very convenient. Nightwing and Flamebird confront this Blas guy, who looks a lot like Tear from the Legion of Superheroes, I noticed. They ask him if he's aware that his presence in this dimension is going to uh, to destroy everything, and he basically says, yeah, I don't much give a shit, though. Blas, he, he's a loser where he comes from and he, frankly, would just rather see all of reality destroyed than go back to the crappy life he had before he came to this dimension and became, you know, the big G's I actually kind of like this guy and I, I sympathize with his motivation unfortunately, as kind of interesting as all the setup for this story is the story feels kind of like Cooperberg got to the end of it and went oh shit, you know, last page, I gotta wrap all this up quick it really just kind of ends. Um, after some very futile fisticuffs uh, versus this Blaz guy, Nightwing and Flamebird, basically end up beating the guy by just pushing him into a, you know, into a convenient dimensional warp that just happens to open up directly behind the guy. I mean, they literally just bump him into this warp and he goes tumbling off to God knows where. You know, it could be Limbo, where there's, like, no air or no food or something. where We don't know. We're just, you know, we see him tumbling, going, Oh, no, or whatever, and that's pretty much the end of this guy. So they are bounced back. Nightwing and Flamebird are bounced back to Candor by a very grateful uh, Professor X, and that's pretty much just where the story ends, um, just short and sweet. So it was a lot of good setup for a story that just really didn't have much payoff at all. There's also a Supergirl story by Jack C. Harris as writer, with pencils by Alan Wise and inks by Joe Rubenstein. I'm not going to cover the story. It's the conclusion to the visitor's storyline, which frankly just isn't worth me going into in any great depth. But what makes this particular story stand out, or this portion of the book, especially from the previous chapters, both in this book and the previous chapters of the Supergirl story, which has been continuing on for several issues, is the Alan Wise art. I don't know a whole heck of a lot about Alan Wise. I remember him. He he always stands out in my memory from the very awesome story in Super Team Family Number 11, where Supergirl teamed up with The Flash and I believe it was The Atom just some really great art. You know, you, you rarely saw Supergirl really drawn well back during this time. At least I don't think so. I mean, she was she was drawn, you know, adequately like everybody else, but she never looked particularly hot or sexy or feminine. But he drew a really good-looking Supergirl. I mean, just really fantastic. And just, just his drawing in general was really good. If you've ever seen the cover or the interiors to the last issue of Shazam Shazam number 34 um that image the cover image from that was uh was advertised in a lot of uh, DC comics right around this time frame it's the very famous picture of um Captain Marvel Jr just beating the crap out of Captain Nazi with Shazam or Captain Marvel rather kind of running up you know looking like he's either going to stop him or join in that's an Alan Wise picture, and it's just beautiful art. The guy never really did a whole lot, at least not that I can find you know, of his resume online or what, but uh, what he did do was just some really awesome stuff. I, I like his art, and it's a shame he's just in this one chapter because by the next issue, you know, as we'll find out, he's uh, right back off the book again. Speaking of the next issue, we'll get right into it. Superman Family number 187. Another awesome Uh, Garcia Lopez cover of the Superman of Earth-1 and Earth-2 merging into... Wait for it... A giant Superman! Yeah. Giant Superman. It really is an awesome cover, though. Uh, January-February 1978 issue. More Jimmy Olsen again, which I didn't read again. In the conclusion to the Superman story from last issue... Superman of Earth 2 shows up and uh, takes a clubbing from this Grog guy, who then proceeds to smash through the nearest window of the JLA satellite. Now, remember, this is a satellite in orbit around the Earth. You know, we're we're told every single time we see the damn station that it's 22,300 miles above the Earth. So it's in space. Smashes out the window how the nearby Professor Potter is not sucked out into space is a complete mystery. You know, Superman, does, uh, Superman of Earth 2 does say something about this, and, uh, you know, Potter comments that, you know, there's the automatic repair system that keeps the air in. But still, you know, he's standing right there! I mean, how fast does this automatic sealing thing work? So anyway, Superman 2, Superman of Earth 2... I'm just going to call him Superman 2. I'm going to refer to these guys as Superman 2 and Superman 1 for convenience. So Superman 1 is from Earth 1. Superman 2 is from Earth 2. Got it? Okay, well, that's your own problem. So Superman 2, he flies out and rescues Superman 1. They witness the horror that Grog is... Uh, Krog, is it Grog or Krog? It's with a K, but I want to say Grog. It's actually Krog. Krog is reeking on the Earth, and they decide that... You know, that the only way that they're going to take this guy down is to use their Wonder Twin powers and form a giant Superman. Now, here's where this story takes a weird turn for me. A weirder turn. Now, they're warned by Professor Potter that, and I quote, your combined bodies might well reach critical mass and explode, destroying you and the Earth together. Superman 1 and 2's response to this? Do what you have to, Professor. Wait a minute. I live on the Earth, okay? I think I'm not so comfortable with them deciding that, you know, it's okay if they might actually explode and take the Earth along with them, okay? I mean, there's like 20 billion other superheroes living on the Earth. You know, maybe they should find somebody to team up and try to take this guy out. I mean, all he is is a big really creepy looking lurch kind of guy with a big head and an axe i mean there's got to be somebody else that they can team up with and take this guy out but anyway you know they've got to wrap these stories up in like six pages so what do you want so they do their thing they form into a giant superman although not really you know the cover shows them merging together into a giant superman it even says right on it something about let me find it here giant superman will the world be destroyed when two supermen merge into a giant superman it's right on the cover well they do merge but um they're not a giant superman the only thing i can see that's different about them at all is that you know he's got the trademark you know gray sideburns of superman 2 on one side of his head so he, he's almost like more like the composite Superman where, where he's like half Superman, half Batman. He's almost more like that where he's like half Superman one on one side and half Superman two on the other than he is a giant Superman. So anyway, they put the smack down on this Krog guy, which basically consists of them sucker punching him in the kidneys from behind. And then they just run away so as the combo superman runs away he flies you know kind of upside down like like superman did and superman returns in that one part where he used his heat vision and zapped all the glass before it could cut people all up he does the same kind of thing here he flies upside down and he uses his heat vision to fire behind him he's firing these like super intense heat vision blasts at krog which the intention is that they're gonna overload him well they overload him and they cause him to explode. Now, they knew going in that this was basically their plan. Now, I can remember as a kid at least a million times being reminded that Superman had a code against killing, that no matter what, you know, this was his ethical standard, he wasn't just going to kill villains no matter how convenient or whatever he would always find a way. I don't remember reading this as a kid. As a matter of fact, I just had to buy this issue off of eBay to be able to read it. Um, it was one of the few I was missing out of my collection. So I was pretty shocked to find out that, you know, he actually just takes this guy out. I mean, there's no two ways around it. He overloaded the dude, and the dude blew up. So, you know, Superman 1? Well, I mean, Superman 2's in, in there, too. They're combined. You know, they they actually killed the guy. So, kind of a shocker. So anyway uh, you know Krog uh, he's exploded so you know crisis averted. Superman 2 uh, returns to his own earth and that's basically the end of that story. I'm still shocked. All right for the second time in as many issues, Lois Lane in her solo story is viciously and hilariously backhanded. I I don't know what the deal is, but I I dig that. It's pretty cool. I don't read those stories, but it's fun to flip past them and see that Lois is once again receiving the slapdown. So that's pretty cool. Crypto the Superdog learns that love can be a fickle bitch, literally in Double Trouble by Bob Toomey and John Kelnan. I hate to say it, but this crypto story was pretty bad. And I'm just going to kind of skip right past it. On to the f- main event here, Nightwing and Flamebird. This is Battle with the Bizarro Brain by Paul Cooperberg again, Ken Landgraf, and uh, Romeo Tangal, all the usual team. Okay, remember I told you that this was going to come up again? The weather control system in Candor has gone totally screwy. We got soccer ball-sized hail, lightning, snow... Okay, this guy, Dev Ree, I'm not quite sure what the deal is with him. He, he appears to be like an elderly, crippled scientist. Maybe he's like the head scientist of Candor uh, of or something. I don't know what his deal is, but he's just he's always in these stories. He's just this, this old scientist guy in a wheelchair. He, he seems to be almost like the Alfred of the Nightwing and Flamebird team here. He tells them that he's figured out what the problem is. Okay, and I quote, all of Candor's weather is controlled by a highly advanced supposedly infallible computer. One of the backup control tapes was accidentally altered. So it turns out that apparently the extra-worldly super-science advanced technocracy of Candor's all weather all-powerful weather control computer is run by a cassette drive. I mean, really? I mean, I'm not kidding you. It looks just like one of those old, you know, cassette deck, those little cassette recorder things you'd buy at, like, Radio Shack or something, you know, back in the 80s. I mean, you know, I had one of these things. We used to take them to the movies and record, you know, the movies on audio tape. And the tape that they've got, that they're showing in this thing, that that devree has got in his hand, it actually looks like a modern, you know, modern for the times, like a modern cassette. (laughs) So they had, like, a... Like a you know, like the eighties the style little cassette tape is, is what's running, you know, their their weather computer in Candor. I just got the biggest kick out of that. I thought it was hysterical. I mean, even Star Trek back in the sixties was showing, you know, little diskettes and, you know, things like that. Not everything was on magnetic tape and all, so I, I found it hysterical that, you know, Krypton and Candor they're supposed to be so advanced and all, but but everything's controlled by, by these cassette tapes. So, apparently, at some point in the recent past, in a battle with Superman in the Fortress of Solitude, Bizarro accidentally blasted Candor's bottle with his uh, imperfect duplicate ray, which created a... uh, a Bizarro tape. (laughs) There's no other way to say it. A Bizarro tape. Yeah. That is now causing the weather to run rampant, inside the bottle city so you know while the weather intensifies outside and the bottle city is in imminent danger of flooding and that right there i don't get i mean they're in a bottle where's the extra water coming from i don't care how much it rains you know they have a finite amount of water to begin with so i don't know i just don't understand it Nightwing and Flamebird, you know, they battle their way to the central computer core to switch out the the master control cassette tape, which actually proves to be a lot longer and a lot harder and a lot less interesting than it probably should be. I I don't know what the deal is. You know, they shouldn't just be able to, okay, we got the new tape. They go in, they swap it out of the tape deck, but they have to battle all these robots and all this. So, I don't know, evidently the bizarro tape is also controlling the robots of the city or so i don't know this one here it was fun but it's it was one of the ones that tested my tolerance for for silver age silliness okay and then supergirl sadly has don heck pencils rather than the uh the gorgeous art that we had last time from alan Wise. and i don't mean to knock don heck he's a serviceable artist i mean he, he's done a lot of stuff over the years um just never one of my favorites uh, i'm sad to say anyway this one features supergirl battling a powerless kryptonian who has built himself just one kick-ass space sled that he built out of an old superboy robot i'm not sure how i feel about that But the coolest thing is seeing Supergirl's real Kryptonian parents in Earth civvies hanging out with her adopted parents. Now, I didn't realize that these guys had all ever met and knew each other. I I, I think that's pretty cool. Either I knew it and forgot it or or had just never never seen it before. But uh, I don't know. There's something I I found bizarre and kind of cool at the same rate about, you know, they're they're all you know dressed in earth clothes and just kind of hanging around the danvers house having dinner or whatever i, I don't know. i don't know there's something just kind of weird about that lastly superman family number 188 the march april 1978 issue another stunning cover by garcia lopez this is uh it's one of my favorites I, i've always loved this cover it, uh, it features everybody that I really care about inside the book on the cover doing something that, for a change, is actually kind of sort of going on inside the book. It's a shot, um, kind of a weird angle shot, of uh, a Kandorian courtroom with Nightwing and Flamebird and Jimmy Olsen trying to restrain Superman as he fights to reach Supergirl uh, as she's being projected into the Phantom Zone. Just one of those issues that you know i always love the cover but i always remembered although kind of vaguely i guess um i'm always remembered enjoying this one as a as a kid anything that ever involved a phantom zone i was always a sucker for i still am i like phantom zone stories so this is a great issue uh, inside we start off with a tom defalco jimmy olsen story that uh you know i actually read this one you heard me right i actually read a jimmy olsen story This time around, we got uh, art by uh, Kurt Schaffenberger and Tex, I believe it's Blydell, Blaisdell? I'm not sure. It's B-L-A-I-S-D-E-L-L. Blaisdell. Blydell? I'm not sure. Anyway, Superman and Jimmy Olsen, they travel to Superman's Fortress of Solitude and they go into the bottle city of Kandor. Inside, we see Van Z, who's secretly Nightwing, he's hugging his kids goodbye and he's headed off to work for the day and we observe some bad guys are watching him leave his house they're laying in wait superboy or excuse me superman and jimmy olsen they arrive in candor and they are there to witness the election of a new science council member now candor is a uh, technocracy so the science council is what rules uh candor And it's what ultimately ruled ruled Krypton as well. It's what caused Krypton to blow up because the scientists thought that they were smarter than uh, Jor-El and didn't listen to him, and the planet blew up. So anyway, Akvar, who is secretly Flamebird, he's one of the candidates uh, because he's invented something called a molecular solidifier that he hopes may one day be used to unshrink Kandor, which is kind of a cool goal, I guess in the middle of the presentation of the the different candidates for the the science council position suddenly suddenly the uh, the separatists that we've seen in pr- prior stories they show up and they basically just you know bust up the party and rabble rouse Devry uh, again the old crippled scientist guy from Candor uh, it's in a very funny scene he refers to them as stupid revolutionaries now if you remember from the uh, original separatist story that I read and told you guys about, the beef with these separatist guys is they want to unshrink the people of the city and the city itself. They they basically want to come out of the bottle. So I don't quite get what... Why is everybody opposed to this? I mean, I would think that living in a bottle would suck. So anyway, the, uh, the separatist's urgings, you know, to rebel against the science council basically causes a riot you know everybody you know is taking sides and it becomes this big political you know free-for-all and everybody's fighting and it's like a big bar fight and uh jimmy olsen and superman you know they they jump into the fray they're trying to quell the 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 riot and everything about this time nightwing and flamebird show up and for some reason jimmy olsen really pisses off flamebird you know I can sympathize with that. You know, Jimmy Olsen pisses me off, too. So Flamebird just belts him, which, you know, I had to cheer for that. I, I'd like to do the same thing sometimes. I don't know what it is. Jimmy Olsen just pisses me off. So I, I totally sympathize with Flamebird on this. He doesn't even need a reason, in my opinion. Just, you know, just hit him. That's okay with me. So anyway, um, apparently there is a uh, an insult for for Redhead's in Candor, they call them Sky Tops, and there's even a little editor's note about it. I got a kick about that, that uh, you know, that we're we're seeing a little redhead prejudice in this issue. Kind of uh, politically incorrect and hilarious at the same time. Meanwhile, Sorel, who I'm wondering is this guy any relation to Superman, as his real name is kal El, I don't remember. I'll have to research that and get back to you. He's the leader of these separatist dudes. He abducts Van Zee's wife and kids. Maybe that's the whole thing, is maybe these Separatists actually have a legitimate issue. It's just the way they're going about it. I don't, I don't know what the deal is. Anyway, they uh, steal uh, Nightwing's... Uh, or well, they abduct, rather, Nightwing's wife and kids. Nightwing and Superman, they break up the fight between Jimmy and Flamebird, and they basically get them all to agree to play nice and everything and, and you know, fight on, uh, you know, for the common cause. In the meantime, Van Z suddenly gets like a treble alert type of thing on his belt and realizes that something's wrong at home. And so he hightails it there to find that his family is being held hostage by Sorel in his own home. We cut to Superman and Jimmy. They're donning their original Nightwing and Flamebird outfits. And this, I, why? I don't understand why they're doing this. There's already a Nightwing and Flamebird there. Are they just trying to upstage him or something? I don't know why they're doing this. So anyway, they do... And they don't even put on masks. They, You know, Nightwing and Flamebird have their little, you know, uh, domino masks. Well, Jimmy and Superman adopt, you know, these same identities, same costumes. They don't even bother to put the domino masks on. So, I mean, are they even fooling anybody? It doesn't make any sense. So they suddenly hear Van Z as he's flying around as Nightwing... And he's shouting to the populace that it's time to revolt and, you know, making all the, these statements about, you know, revolution and it's time to, you know, side with the separatists and all this. And so Superman and Jimmy are like, what? So they fly out and they're going to stop him. You know, they're, they're trying to, you know, to, to stop him from, you know, shouting all this stuff. And again, remember, the separatists the deal is they want to enlarge the city and the inhabitants. I, I would think it's a good thing. So, you know, they go out to do this. And Jimmy attacks Nightwing, which really pisses off Flamebird at this point. That, you know, Jimmy Olsen is attacking his buddy. So, in an awesome, awesome scene, and I really like the Schaffenberger art in this part, Flamebird beats his ass, but good for it. And I really like that sequence, it's really beautifully drawn. Sorel uh, whips up a batch of enlarging gas, and as the battle between Superman and Jimmy and Nightwing and Flamebird starts to wind down and you know in the Marvel comic style, they, they all start to realize that you know, something bigger's going on and that Nightwing's being coerced and you know, you know the drill. They decide to team up and stop the separatists when suddenly they see what looks like, and I quote, "a large batch of Paul Bunyans." We have giant separatists. And that's where the, that particular storyline for now ends. Uh, we get part one of a mediocre at best Superman solo story by Jerry Conway, Kurt Schaffenberger, with uh, Superman getting duped by very racist looking aliens. I thought, at least I thought they were very racist looking. We get a Lois Lane story, which again I didn't read by Tom DeFalco, but it had some really nice art by Wynne Mortimer and Bob Wycheck. Lois looks really hot on the first splash page. She's, you know, doing like the cigarette girl thing, you know, she's got the, the stockings and all that. Really really cute picture of Lois Lane. She teams up with a new I at least I think he's a new superhero, this guy, Cannonball, who actually looks pretty cool except for the way he's colored. He's got like a It almost looks like bullet man but he's got like a green thing with pink boots and he just you know it's like he he has no fashion sense or something but you know the outfit's cool if it was black and white or colored differently but anyway i always thought bullet man was kind of cool so this kind of guy's kind of cool just by default because he looks like bullet man we have a crypto and ed lacy story um you know where they become hobos for a little while. Nice art on that by Juan Ortiz. Um, nothing to write home about. Just a, a fun little story. It's better than the last couple of, uh, of crypto stories. Although, how a dog picks up a train, I don't understand at all. I mean, they don't have thumbs. The Nightwing and Flamebird story is actually the continuation of the Jimmy Olsen story from earlier, but this time, you know, Written by the same guy, but with the regular art team of Landgraf and Tangal as the artists, so basically picks up where the Jimmy Olsen story left off. So Jimmy Olsen goads Flamebird by saying, you know, well, if you're afraid, you know, and Flamebird decides to show Jimmy Olsen, you know, who's afraid. And so he flies off to confront these giant separatists, and it's hilarious. He just gets the shit swatted out of him by this giant separatist dude. Just literally just knocks him right out of the air. And then just to make matters, to really just rub salt in the wound, Jimmy Olsen catches Flamebird just to further humiliate him. So I I love that. I don't know where all this animosity between Flamebird and Jimmy Olsen comes from, but I'm digging it big time. So the giant separatists, they they stomp Nightwing and Jimmy Olsen, but good. Meantime, Nightwing's wife, who the editor's note says was actually born Sylvia DeWitt. She was the daughter of a wealthy American industrialist. She decides that she's basically, she's tired of waiting around to be saved and suddenly seems to remember that she knows Kryptonian Kung Fu and she proceeds to beat down all three of her armed captors. You know, all of this with her children right there present and in danger. And, you know, she grabs up the kids and they flee outside right into the arms of the giant separatists who were coming to the house anyway. So she really didn't avail herself anything other than, you know, she's got my respect that, you know, she she beat these guys down, decided she couldn't wait for her stupid husband to show up and rescue her. Actually sounds like something my wife might do so you know anyway apparently not this issue came from my collection i didn't have to buy this one so apparently i've read this at some point in the past and i totally forgot that nightwing's uh, wife was human from earth so i'm gonna have to do some checking into that i'd love to to find the origins of of how that all came to be and I'm curious, you know, Jimmy Olsen, when he comes into Kandor, it's commented in one of these stories that, you know, he has to wear special shoes and all that. This was still at the time, and I'm not sure they do this in modern Superman stories, but it used to be where part of the explanation for Superman's powers was the fact that uh, there was the weight difference, you know, the gravity difference between... Um, Krypton and Earth, you know, the size you know, the fact that Krypton was, you know, ginormous and, and Earth was very small compared to it. So it was this gravity difference that came into play with Superman's powers and his ability to fly. I don't know that they so much stick to that anymore, but that was definitely in place back during this time. So I'm really curious, you know, does does Nightwing's wife have to have to have any special accommodation to live there with him twenty four seven, you know, does she need a special suit or special shoes or, you know, do they turn the gravity down a little bit for her? you? know I'm just curious what what the whole deal is with that if it's ever even addressed. But really, would like to find out how uh, how Nightwing wound up with a with an Earth babe. I'm, I'm kind of curious about that whole thing. Anyway, inexplicably, uh, Superman and Flamebird, who I thought had been holding their own against the giant separatists earlier. Well, apparently they've just retreated for whatever reason. They just split, and now in this cutscene, they're in the night cave so that uh, Flamebird can whip up a batch of something that he's not telling what it is. Superman, in the meantime, you know he's really anxious. He's champing at the bit to, to get out of there. He wants to go rescue Jimmy and Nightwing. We cut to Jimmy and Nightwing, and they are about to be executed by Sorrell when suddenly Superman and Flamebird burst into the rescue. Now, it looks, for all the world, like Superman has his superpowers back in this part, but it never says that. So I don't know whether that's the case or not. It sure looks that way. I mean, he's flying in, he's smashing through walls, he's flying up and belting the giant separatist guy in the chin, but, you know, it never says that, you know, maybe that's what, what... uh, Flamebird was doing with the test tubes and all that. Maybe he has some super sort of superpower serum, or something. I don't know what the deal is with this. Anyway, Jimmy gets into the act as well, and again, I ask you, you know, How fucking embarrassing would it be to have your ass handed to you by Jimmy Olsen, especially if you're a giant? So the giant separatists, you know, they finally kind of recover from the shock of this, you know, this sudden surprise attack and they're just about to pounce on our heroes when suddenly Akvar whips out his molecular solidifier and he stops them dead in their tracks. Sylvia, you know, she's rescued. Jimmy Olsen and Flamebird, they eventually, you know, they kiss and make up, which actually kind of sucks because I really wanted to see Flamebird punch Jimmy Olsen at least two or three more times. I mean, right after this, Akvar learns that he lost the election, So, you know, he probably really needs to hit something right about then, you know. So it's really a shame that, you know, they make him all buddy-buddy by the end of it, which, you know, I know it's comic book cliche, but still. And then suddenly, at the very end of the issue, a very, very Buck uh, Rogers-looking dude here, he runs up and he tells Superman that uh, Candor Court has just convened and that his cousin Supergirl is the defendant. So lastly we go to the Supergirl story written by Jack C. Harris with art by Jack Abel and Joe Gaella. It's nice serviceable art. I mean, doesn't jump out at you, but it's uh, it's nice. Supergirl, she's returning from outer space from you know her adventures in the last issue, and she comes to the big gold door at the Fortress of Solitude when suddenly she hears an emergency summons to go to come to the bottle city of candor ripping the door off the fortress of solitude which i got to point out is probably pissing superman off royally at this point because i'm really uh, i'm sure he's really tired of replacing the damn thing by now i mean every other issue somebody can't find the key or whatever superman's already in there whatever the deal is and they just rip the door off the hinges or smash it in or something I mean, I'm sure that these things are expensive and they probably have to be special ordered from Home Depot or something, so uh, you know, maybe he just needs to get, like, duplicate keys or something. I I don't know. You know, that's part of the problem with having a giant door and a 50-ton key, I guess, but anyway. So she goes in and she shrinks into the Bottle City. Upon arriving, powerless I remind you, she is taken custody by the Candorian cops. She (laughs) <laughs> she resists arrest which is something we hadn't seen any of the super people do in quite a while I kind of got a kick out of it she resists arrest and she gets shot when she wakes up from this she finds herself in the Huskow and her cousin Superman Jimmy Olsen, Van Z, and Akvar they're all present and lending moral support at this point she is uh, taken to trial still not knowing just what the hell she did wrong. And when she gets into the courtroom and proceedings start, she finds out that her accuser in this whole mess is Shyla, who is a Kryptonian girl and former Phantom Zone prisoner that Supergirl recently fought with just a couple issues before this. And in that story, she ended up re-exiled to the Phantom Zone. Well, it turns out that Shyla, you know, she'd been long overdue for release anyway at the time that she actually managed to escape from the Phantom Zone on her own. And she's kind of pissed that Supergirl just sent her right back in as soon as she had managed to escape. So, of course, you know, well, you know, she glosses over the part where she tried to kill Supergirl. I guess there isn't any kind of uh, space perjury uh, penalties in Kandor or something. It's never addressed. Superman, in the meantime, he tries his best to defend Supergirl, but it doesn't work out very well for him. They basically just don't allow him to defend. They don't allow him to counter accuse, or whatever they call it. And then, you know, the prosecutor, he brings out the big guns. He presents the nail in Supergirl's coffin, the Mento Tape. We cut to a brief interlude with Supergirl's superfather, Zor-El. He's flying and he's carrying uh, Supergirl's Earth father, Fred Danvers, and they're making their way to Danvers' new job as director of Midvale's new Star Labs Research Center. They get there, they change... Well, Zor-El changes to civilian clothes, Earth civilian clothes... They're hanging out, they're talking, and a young man shows up, and he's looking to apply for Fred's advertised new assistant position. The young man's name is Lucas Carr, which should mean something to you. And his list, uh, his list of references shocks Fred Danvers, and I'm presuming that we'll get more of this little story in the next issue. Back to the Candorian courtroom and the Mento tape is played. On it, it's revealed that years ago when he was fat and still bald, Lex Luthor and Supergirl had a secret villainy pact in which Supergirl actually committed evil deeds at Luthor's bidding. Supergirl can't defend herself against these allegations because all this took place during a time when she she was experiencing memory gaps and i got to thinking about that's excellent i am gonna start using that as an excuse for all the untoward shit that i do from now on memory gaps yeah yeah the wife will buy that okay so anyway the trial ends supergirl pleads no contest which shocks everybody and so, Supergirl, for her horrible, vicious, unspeakable crimes against her fellow Kryptonians, Candorians, and the peoples of the planet Earth, is hereby sentenced and projected into the Phantom Zone. Oh, uh, only for 30 days. And that's the, <laughs> that's the kicker to this story. I love it. It's great. I love a good Phantom Zone story. I love a good Bottle City story. I like all the characters involved, except for Jimmy Olsen. But all this angst and and digging out Mento tapes and all this drama. It's only 30 days. I mean, I don't know. I loved it as a kid, and I gotta say, I still love it now. It's just a lot of fun and uh, I hope you enjoyed it I hope you'll come back next time when I uh, will go forward another three issues on this in the meantime if you enjoyed this if you enjoy our regular Two True Freaks show you know we have uh, Star Wars related shows we have Star Trek related shows comic book shows free for all episodes when anything can happen we have Back to the Bins with myself and Alec Berry talking comic books if you enjoy our show Why don't you tell a friend, tell two friends, tell your enemies, tell your loved ones, tell random strangers on the street, yell it out the window, write it on the side of your car. You know, whatever you got to do, spread the word about our show. We just like to grow our listenership and uh, grow our membership on the forum. And I hope you'll join us next time. Take care. Later.